Hey, welcome to another exciting podcast from Freedom House Church. My name is Troy Maxwell. I'm the senior pastor of our church. We are one church that meets in multiple locations, which means we have different communicators at all of our different locations. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from one of our teaching teams. I know that it will bless you. You will walk away changed. So enjoy this message. What is up, Freedom House? How's it going? Y'all doing well? Well, for those of you I haven't had an opportunity to meet, my name is Diana Henderson, and my husband Matt and I get to be the campus pastors for our South End location, just down the road, like 30 minutes. Well, we've been at Freedom House for like 13 years, give or take. It's been a while. And this month, actually, we're celebrating three years in a pastoral function here at Freedom House. So it's just been an incredible journey. You know, if you're not familiar at Freedom House, we have a teaching team, and we get to be on that teaching team. It's basically a group of communicators, and we rotate around each of our campuses every weekend to bring you a live word of God. Isn't that awesome? Well, and also, you, you heard us talk about we are one house in many rooms. We are in, let's call it the living room right now. We've got our south end location. And just as Pastor Michael talked about, we are opening our permanent location for Lake Norman this weekend. Let's give God a big hand clap for that. So amazing. And you know, lastly, because I just like to celebrate the people in my life that are important, I just want to give honor back to our senior pastors, Troy and Penny Maxwell. Thank you guys for your vision and your obedience. I know that was a major sacrifice, and you still sacrifice every day for all of us. So, awesome. Well, we're going to dive right in. Y'all ready for this? Okay, great. Well, we're in a series called Dark Horse, and it's all about the underdog being an overcomer. You know, everybody likes an underdog story, right? I like to root on the underdog. You know, every March when March Madness happens, I don't know a thing about basketball, but I'll fill out one of those brackets and I ask my husband, okay, which one's the loser? And I go for that person because I want to cheer on the underdog. And you know, as I was preparing for this message, I was thinking about some underdog scenarios, some stories that maybe we're all familiar with. 2001. New England Patriots, they were underdogs. They were losers back then. And at that time, Tom Brady, y'all know who that is? Okay, Tom Brady was the backup quarterback to Drew Bledsoe. Is that how you say his name? Yeah, okay. So Drew got hurt, and so Tom stepped into the game. He led the Patriots through the playoffs to the Super Bowl, and they defeated the St. Louis Rams. Pretty cool underdog story. How about Mr. Ray Charles? 1930, he was born. His father abandoned him. His single mother raised him. At five years old, he started to lose his eyesight. By seven, he was completely blind. Now, Mr. Ray Charles went on to completely revolutionize and bring soul music to life. He basically combined several different genres of music in the 50s and 60s, and he was also one of the first black musicians to receive complete artistic control from one of the major record companies. Pretty cool underdog story. You know, I love a good underdog story, but today I want to talk not about their victories, I want to talk about the things that trip up 
the underdog. Have you ever thought about that? You know, two things came to mind in thinking about the things that trip up the underdog. And the first is the feeling of being unqualified. Y'all say unqualified. Unqualified. The second is the feeling of being disqualified. Y'all say disqualified. Now, before we dive in, I want to establish the difference between unqualified and disqualified. And I'll put it this way. Unqualified is the guy or gal trying out for the basketball team. They've never dribbled a ball in their life. They've never stepped foot on a basketball court. They are what I would call unqualified for trying out for the team. How about disqualified? Disqualified is the guy or gal in the basketball game that has fouled so many times they've been thrown out and they're no longer able to play according to the rule book. Have you ever felt unqualified or disqualified in your life? Well, I want to talk today about those things that trip us up, but how God can use us in spite of our feeling of unqualified or disqualified. Turn to your neighbor and say, God can use you. Turn to your other neighbor and say, God can even use you. All right, so we're going to start with the unqualified. So there's a man in the Bible by the name of Gideon. Now, if you've ever stayed in a hotel and you've opened the drawer of the bedside table and you'd seen a Bible in there, it says placed there by the latter-day Gideons. Well, they're named after him, so famous guy. But at this point in the story of the Bible... I just want to read this to you because this is how Gideon responds to something God says to him. This is Judges chapter 6, verse 15. Pardon me, Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Wow. God must have been issuing a big charge to him, right? And how does he respond? He refers to being unqualified. He says, I'm the least of the least, not only of my tribe, but of my family. Have you ever felt unqualified? Maybe you were promoted into a role that you'd never done before. Maybe you've been faced with a financial situation and you did not feel qualified to make that decision. Or maybe you've been faced with a conversation that was confrontational, and you weren't quite sure how to handle that? I felt unqualified on many occasions. You know, a couple examples I just wanted to share with you. I was 17 years old, hopped in a car with my best friend at the time. We drove two and a half hours from our hometown in Virginia to Washington, D.C. We slept in the Washington Center for two days, waiting in line so that I could audition for American Idol. Now, as I'm standing in line waiting, I'm like next to Aretha Franklin and Carrie Underwood, not the real ones, but they sounded like them. And man, I was like, what am I doing here? I am way unqualified for this. Or how about another time in my life, my brother was the chaplain for the James Madison University football team, and he needed somebody to speak to the team about their faith in Jesus Christ. Well, no one else was available, 
So he calls me, and here I find myself standing before the JMU football team. They're all half my age and twice my size. And I'm talking to them about why they should believe in Jesus. I felt a little unqualified for that role. Or how about the time I was 16 years old, standing in the labor and delivery room of a hospital next to my 17-year-old best friend as she was preparing to deliver her baby. I was not qualified to be a labor coach, to be a speaker, to be auditioning for this national singing contest. You know, sometimes we feel ill-equipped, but I love that in the Bible, God used the unqualified to do mighty things. You know, that's God's strategy. And thank you, Jesus, for that. You know, in 1 Corinthians 1.27, it says, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one would boast before him. You know, this really comes to life in the story of Gideon. And I want to continue on. So we've already heard Gideon and his response back to God. Now let's find out a little bit more. Judges 6.1 says, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. So let me just tell you what's going on. So the Israelites were basically under torment from the Midianites, the Amalekites, all the ites. They were torturing them by coming in, taking all of their harvest, um, killing their production animals. They were suffering. Now maybe you're going like, okay, well, I, I'm, I'm trying to get this picture. Have you ever seen the movie A Bug's Life? It's like Disney Pixar, right? Okay, if you haven't, let me just paint the picture. It's these ants, and they're like gathering up all their food to feed their colony. And then the evil grasshoppers come in, and they steal all their food. Well, that's the picture I got when I'm reading this story about the Israelites. So you can just picture the evil grasshoppers, right? Okay, so here they are. They're under torment by the, um, the Midianites. Now, maybe you're going, okay, why were they suffering from all this torture? Well, the Israelites throughout the Old Testament would follow God. They would be on the straight and narrow. Then they would get distracted by these wooden idols, and they would start worshiping them. They'd get distracted with their Instagram. They'd get distracted with the perspectives of the people in their lives instead of what God was calling them to do. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? I don't know, that speaks to me. Maybe we've wandered off at times. So the Israelites are begging God for mercy. And as good as God is, he comes to redeem them and he sends a prophet to remind them of their disobedience, but also to raise up an unqualified man to bring them to victory. Now the story goes on that the angel of the Lord shows up to Gideon and Gideon is in a wine press, and he's threshing wheat. Now, I just so happen to work in the agriculture industry. 
So I know a little bit about wheat harvest. I've actually ridden one of those like massive combines to harvest wheat. It's pretty sweet. Anyway, I know for a fact that you don't thresh wheat in a wine press. Like the, it's like the mixing two crops. You don't do that. So what was Gideon doing in this wine press? He was hiding out, y'all. He was hiding cowardly from the Midianites. I mean, I don't, I don't really blame him, but he was hiding. Now, the angel of the Lord says to Gideon in Judges 6, 12, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, I love this. You know why? Because the angel of the Lord doesn't say, dude, get off your butt. Go do what God's calling you to do. He doesn't speak to him in his circumstance. He doesn't call him a coward. He doesn't speak to how he's feeling. He speaks to his victory. He calls him a mighty warrior. You know, at this point, Gideon didn't even quite realize what God was calling him to, but God was already calling him victorious. Come on, somebody. Now, Gideon challenges him naturally, and he says, "Um, forgive my confusion, but if the Lord is with us, why are we suffering all this torment? Now, I love the response in verse 14 because it says, The Lord turned to him. Now, didn't we just read that the angel of the Lord came to Gideon? See, I like to think that God's like, all right, angel, I'm going to handle this one because Gideon needs to hear this straight from me. He says, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? You know, this is where it gets good. Because God doesn't, like, take the magic wand like Cinderella's fairy godmother does and, like, change him into a mighty warrior. He calls him a mighty warrior. You know, sometimes we feel unworthy for what God is calling us to do. But the key thing is qualification comes in the answer to the call. It's not about what we have. Qualification comes in the answer to the call. Now, maybe God has asked you to do something, and maybe you're waiting for the equipping, but maybe God's waiting for your yes. You know, I'll never forget when God called my husband and I to a pastoral role. We were like, um, can we give you the list of reasons why we are unqualified? And God said, I am calling you to this. Now, it wasn't until we said yes that the anointing came, that the equipping came, that his voice started to magnify in our time with him. The qualification comes in the answer to the call. Now, the story goes on with Gideon in the scripture, and it says that the spirit of the Lord came on Gideon. He blew a trumpet, which signaled war in that time, and he summons the troops to follow him. Now, I think this is pretty impressive because Gideon gathers an army of 32,000 men. Wow. Pretty amazing, right? But I love how God responds because he says, yeah, yeah, that's too many. You're going to need to send some of those guys home because the Israelites will not see my hand at work if you go to war that way. So Gideon's like, all right, I'll send 22,000 home. 
Now, he started with 32,000. He sent 22,000 home. How many does he have left? Woohoo! 10,000. You know, everything in my household right now with my third grader is a math equation. We're always like, okay, I put two dinner plates on the table. I take one away, but I add three back. How many do you have? Anyway, that just came to mind as I was preparing this message. So God says, you still have too many, Gideon. Take them down to the river and I'll help you thin your herd. Has God ever called you to thin your herd? You know, in Gideon's case, I think that there were warriors among that 10,000 that were probably still practicing those wayward behaviors, things that would have been toxic to the mission that God had called him to do. Are there toxic people in our lives that are speaking against the very call on our lives? Do we need to thin our herds? You know, Gideon keeps a whopping 300 men. That's less than 10% of what he started with. Another math equation there. And uh, you can just imagine, I just want to paint this picture because it's really cool how the Bible describes it. Gideon has 300 men and they're standing like on a hillside. So picture, they're up above looking down at their enemy, the Midianites, in their camp. Now the Bible says that the Midianites looked as thick as locusts. It also said that their camels were so many, it was like trying to count the sands on the seashore. Can you imagine? Like, I'd be like, uh, I think we are gonna lose this one. Not to mention, God says, hey, arm these 300 men with a trumpet in one hand and a glass jar in the other. What? Who goes to war like that? So Judges 7.22 says, When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp, the Midianite camp, to turn on each other with swords. They were so confused, they started attacking each other. And then Gideon's army was successful. 300 men against countless in their enemy army, and they had trumpets and glass jars. That's pretty cuckoo, right? That's like bringing a slingshot to a sword fight. Sound familiar? You know, I love this because God said he was going to do something through Gideon. He even said to him, go in the strength that you have, right? Because God's glory comes from our little. God's glory comes from our little. But if we let him, you see, Gideon very well could have gone to battle with the 32,000 men, and maybe that alone would have been enough to be a force to be reckoned with. But Gideon surrendered his idea of earthly qualification, size, number, suitable weaponry. He surrendered it for obedience of what God was calling him to do. You know, I think about that in our own lives. Oftentimes, we look at earthly qualification, right? We look at how much money is in my bank account for me to pursue that dream. Or what does my network look like in order for me to pursue that career? We look at earthly qualification when God is saying, no, 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 no. My glory will come from your little, 
Whatever is in your hand. What little do you have for God to use? So we've talked about feeling unqualified. And what I love about this is when we're unqualified, the two key things to remember is that we just need to answer the call because that's where the qualification comes. And secondly, we bring our little to the table. God does the rest. His glory comes from our little. But what about when we're feeling disqualified? You know, the definition of disqualified is taking away the right to do or be a part of someone, something. Anyone in here have a past? All right, I should see all hands raised because if you're still breathing, you have a yesterday, and yesterday by definition is the past, right? So we all have a past. I didn't say bad past, where y'all going? But while we're on the topic of bad past, you know, have you ever had something done to you or maybe done something that made you feel disqualified from doing something else? Practical example from my own life, I grew up in a military family and we moved around all the time. I moved 16 times in 11 years and we lived four years in Germany. So when we finally moved back to the States and settled, I was at a high school in Virginia, and I'll never forget, we were announcing a blood drive, and I was so excited to be able to give of myself to save somebody else. Like, how cool is that, right? Not to mention, my blood type is A positive, and like I've always said, like A plus to my husband, I'm an A plus student, and my blood type confirms it. Anyway, so I go to the blood drive, and I'm so excited. I'm standing in line. I get the paperwork, and I'm filling out all the papers. And it says, there's this one question. Have you ever lived or spent time in a country in Europe more than six months? I'm like, yeah, check that box. I lived in Germany for four years. Well, as I get to the front, and the volunteer is reviewing my paperwork, she says, "Mm, I'm sorry, you can't donate blood today. I'm like, excuse me? My blood is going to save a life. I'm A plus. I mean, A positive. And she says, no, no, you lived in Germany. Turns out in 2001, the FDA put in place a mandate because of mad cow disease. What? Because I lived in Germany longer than six months, they were afraid I had mad cow disease. I was disqualified from donating blood. Or how about this? When my 17-year-old friend, who I got to help deliver her baby, I'll never forget later on in life when she said, Diana, how am I going to ever find a husband with the baggage that I carry and the past that I've lived? Sometimes we feel like our past disqualifies us. You know, there's a man in the Bible whose shadow of of a past very well could have disqualified him from his destiny. This guy's name was Saul at the time. And Saul was a Pharisee. Now, a Pharisee, if you're not familiar, I characterize it. He was, they were Jewish, but he was like a Nazi-like Jew, where basically they felt like their species or their breed, their race was superior to that of others. Now, Paul was, or Saul, excuse me, was not a great person. This is what he said about himself in Acts 26, verse 9. I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. 
And that's just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blasphemy. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign countries. Wow. You know, one day Saul was traveling on the road to Damascus and he sees this bright light. I think of it like, you know, do you guys ever see the movie Gremlins from the 80s? The, the character Gizmo, who's like, bright light, bright light, anytime he sees bright light, because he can't be, okay, if you haven't seen it, check out Netflix. I don't recommend it for kids, though. I still have nightmares from those gremlins. Anyway, he sees this bright light, and he has this encounter with the spirit of Jesus, because Jesus had already ascended into heaven at this point, and he's blinded. He has this major encounter, and Jesus renames him Paul. Now, this encounter was so powerful, then Jesus appears in a vision to a man named Ananias, and he basically is asking Ananias to help Paul. Now, Paul or Ananias responds, and he's like, um, do you know who this guy is? Do you know about his past? Because uh, I've heard about him through the grapevine. He is not a nice dude. Acts 9.15 says, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. You know, another scripture to go on to paint the picture of what Paul started to face. Acts 9 verse 19, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Paul's past preceded him. Can you imagine what it was like for Paul? He's had this encounter with Jesus, and he decides he's going to follow Jesus and tout his name from the rooftops. But everywhere he goes, people are whispering, I know who that is. We know what he used to do. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like when God is calling you to something mighty and all you can do is hear the whispers of your past? Man, I, I feel like that all the time. I felt like this, th th that this week as I was preparing for this message, the enemy was up in my ear saying, Diana, remember that time in your past? What if people knew about that as you were preaching the word of God? Our past has no authority. Our past can't disqualify us. You know, I like to look at it this way. Because our past has no authority, it's like your mail carrier, your neighborhood mail carrier trying to arrest you for speeding. They can't. They have no authority. The same thing is with our past. It cannot disqualify us from the future that God is calling us to. 
maybe we're ashamed of things that have been done to us or things that we've done. But what if we set that aside? I love the quote, one of the greatest enemies to our future is our past. You know, good news here for Paul, he goes on to write two-thirds of the New Testament of the Bible. He suffered great persecution in the name of Jesus. But can you just imagine the residents of heaven that can be attributed to his ministry? Innumerable. Who could have imagined that someone like Paul with a track record like he had would go on to save lives in the name of Jesus? You know, Paul's pain and his past became his platform. So what is it about Paul's story that dissed his disqualification? What is it that made him qualified to do what God was calling him to do after he literally had been crucifying Christians? Well, in Paul's own words, I love this. In Ephesians 3.8, it says, Although I am less than the least. I think we've heard that already, haven't we? Didn't Gideon literally say, I am less than the least? Paul says, I am less than the least of all of the Lord's people. But this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Grace. You know, we had a guest pastor this summer, uh, Pastor Nathan Finocchio, and he described grace in contrast to mercy, and I wanted to share it with you. He said, mercy is when you're driving down the road speeding in a school zone, you get stopped by an officer, ticketed, and you go to court, and you're standing before the judge, and he says, I'm going to let you off this time. That's mercy, right? Grace is that same scenario, you're speeding down the road in a school zone, you get stopped by an officer, you get ticketed, you go to court and the judge says, I'm gonna let you off this time. But wait, that's not all. Here are the keys to a brand new Ferrari. It's yours, take it. Undeserved, but take it. That's what grace is. It's unmerited favor of God towards men. Completely undeserved. Grace means that all of your mistakes now serve a purpose instead of serving shame. I like to think of it this way. Grace is your gas pedal. Shame is your brake. If we can remind ourselves of the grace of God in our lives, we are unstoppable. And, you know, I continue to think about as I'm working through life that I'm riding in a Ferrari and my foot is like all the way down, pedal to the metal, riding the grace that Jesus Christ gave to me. And, man, I just got to set that shame aside. Grace is your gas pedal. You know, Paul had a choice. He could have let the shame of his past disqualify him. Or he could have accepted the undeserved grace that came when Jesus died on the cross for all of us. I love that we all have that same choice. We get to accept that grace because here's the thing. Grace qualifies us. Grace qualifies us. Will you all stand to your feet?
You know, I think, um, I think we all have some things in our lives that are maybe holding us back from what God is trying to do in us. Maybe in here today we feel unqualified. Maybe God has called you to something mighty, a new ministry that he's calling you to start. Maybe he's calling you to just speak openly about your faith. Or maybe he's calling you to a relationship with him for the first time. Or maybe today God is calling you to finally set down the stuff from your past, the shame of what was done to you. You know, that can't be undone, but you can let it go. Maybe you've done something and you're going, Diana, you have no idea what I've done. You're right, I don't. But it doesn't matter. Jesus can use that too. Will you all just close your eyes with me and just bow your heads? If you're in here and maybe that's you, maybe you haven't yet entered into that relationship with Jesus. And I just want you to know that when Jesus went to the cross, it was not for the masses, it was for the one. And you are that one. Jesus wore a thorn of crowns. He died a painful death so that you could have that unmerited grace in your life. If that's you in here today and you're going, you know what? I want that grace. I wanna accept that gift because you know what? I'm tired of feeling unqualified or disqualified from what God is calling me to do. If that's you, nobody's looking around. This is just a private moment between you and God and I wanna pray with you. If that's you, will you just lift your hand? If you wanna make Jesus Lord and Savior of your life tonight. Thank you, I see your hand. Maybe you're in here and you're going, you know, I'm ready to hit the pause button on my shame. I'm ready to stop letting the failures of my past, even the failures of my yesterday, prevent me from stepping into all that God has for me. I'm ready to let those chains set at my feet and to step into all that God has for me. If that's you, will you just do something bold so that God can see you say, today is the day I'm letting my past go behind me. I'm letting the feeling of unqualified set aside. If that's you, will you just lift up your hand? Thank you. Hands up all over the room. Thank you, Jesus. I just want to say a prayer. You can put your hands down with all of us. Just so we can declare that from this moment forward, nothing will hold us back from what God has for us. Will you just repeat after me? Thank you, Heavenly Father, for sending Jesus to die on the cross to raise from the dead so that I could be forgiven. Today, I accept that unmerited favor called grace in my life. And from this moment forward, I will follow Jesus all the days of my life.